Welcome, everyone, to another episode of 8 Minutes of Ew, the place where we use curiosity and science to turn fear into fascination and those ews into ooh. By the way, I'm your host, Miss Mallory, the curious conservationist and self-proclaimed grossologist. Let's get started. This week, we're going to do something a little different. Instead of one gross topic, we're going to have a little iwathon, if you will, and talk about the gross science behind some of my favorite things about American holiday traditions. From where mistletoe comes from to what really may have made Rudolph's nose so red, this countdown is sure to make your next holiday get-together a little more interesting. Starting the countdown is a familiar dessert from our last Ew-inspired episode on odd holiday flavors. Just a little recap for those that may have missed it, Jell-O is made up of about 90% sugar, but the key ingredient that gives Jell-O its distinctive jiggle is actually gelatin. Gelatin is a collection of long, stringy, animal-based proteins called collagen. Remember, we learned about that in the scab episode. Urban legends claim that gelatin comes from a horse or a cow's hooves, but that's not true. It's actually the bones and skin, not sure if that makes it any better, of the animal. The reason they don't use hooves is because hooves consist of a different type of protein called keratin, which can't produce wobbly-inducing gelatin. When the gelatin is heated and mixed with water, the protein fibers unravel and come apart, so the jelly from the packet melts. As the jelly cools, the fibers coil up again, trapping the water between them, which makes the jelly set. But gelatin isn't just for jello. It can commonly be found in gummy bears, marshmallows, and many of our favorite chewy treats. What wasn't mentioned in last week's episode, though, was the crazy history behind the famous dessert. Did you know the origins of jello date back to the 1600s? Gelatin was first discovered in 1682 by a Frenchman who was conducting experiments by boiling the bones of animals. He discovered and collected the wobbly, tasteless substance that came to the top. It wasn't until 160 years later that gelatin would be used in a very unappealing dessert at the time, created by industrialist and inventor Peter Cooper. When the dessert failed, surprise, surprise, he sold it to a medicine maker and carpenter, Mr. Pearl Waite, that bought it for $450 in 1895. Mr. Pearl had one key ingredient that turned the bland dessert into what it's famously known for today. The key ingredient was his wife. As the saying goes, beside every great man is a great woman. As an average dessert maker, she knew more flavor would be needed and added fruit syrups lots and lots of fruit syrups, to the gelatin, renamed it Jell-O, and began sharing it with her friends. Can you guess what flavors were added first? I'll give you a hint. They make up the original four flavors of Jell-O. Moving on to the next strange holiday tradition is a drink that is so popular in the United States that over 135 million pounds, or 15 million gallons, are consumed each year. Any guesses? Well, if you guessed eggnog, you are correct. But do you know where the spicy, creamy drink originated and why we might love it so much? The etymology or origin of the word has scientists still puzzled, 
but one thought is the word noggin, which is a small wooden cup from which you would drink the eggnog from. For a long time, eggnog was made with alcohol, not for taste, but for safety. In medieval times, it was quite risky to drink milk straight from the cow, just like it's kind of risky to drink milk without it being pasteurized today. So the solution was to add alcohol to the milk so it would kill harmful bacteria found in the dairy product. Much like the way we use different types of alcohol and hand sanitizers or cleaning sprays to kill harmful bacteria on our hands or other surfaces. Old recipes used to use raw eggs to create the thick festive drink and recommended soaking the yolks in alcohol for a few days to ensure any bacteria was also eliminated. Thankfully, due to the marvelous invention of pasteurization, we no longer have to worry about all of that. Moving our way down the list is one of the most iconic traditions of the holidays, mistletoe. Depending on your age, this can bring a pleasant memory of getting a peck on the cheek from a loved one or a terrible flashback of getting smothered in sticky lipstick by your crazy Aunt May. Whatever the memories bring, I bet you didn't know the sprig of the romantic Christmas tradition isn't really a plant of love at all. It's a parasite. In fact, the American mistletoe scientific name for a dendron means thief of the tree in Greek. You see, mistletoe has specialized roots that are able to dig into the tree's branches and suck minerals and waters from its host so it can stay green and beautiful all winter long. Not very romantic, if you ask me. The white-berried Christmas mistletoe we hang in our doorways is just one of more than 1,300 species of mistletoe worldwide. We have two native species in the United States, the leafy American mistletoe, the one commonly associated with our kissing customs, and the mostly leafless dwarf mistletoe. Mistletoe plants can be found high up in trees and grow into large nesting sites called witch's brooms. You can see these witch's brooms really well in winter when the leaves have all fallen but the limbs look like they've sprouted their very own large evergreen bushes. These clusters can weigh more than 50 pounds. So how do these parasites get to the tops of these massive trees? There are a few ways the parasite relocates. One is by animals. Whether eaten or carried, their parasite knows most tree dwellers don't stay in one tree for very long. As a creature travels, it eventually rids itself of the hitchhiker through digestion or merely cleaning itself. When the seed lands on a new tree, it will insert a straw-like root into the branch and begin to grow. In addition to hitchhiking, the dwarf mistletoe also has another handy way of traveling. The seeds of this mistletoe will use water pressure to explode from ripe berries like a water cannon, shooting a distance as far as 50 feet. Incredible! Continuing with the red theme, the last highlight on the holiday countdown is the famous reindeer that guides Santa's sleigh, Rudolph. Well, actually, it's his nose. Have you ever wondered why his nose can glow so bright? While many will say magic, if you ask a reindeer specialist, they may have a different answer. It seems, and this is unfortunate for poor Rudolph, a reindeer's nose provides a perfect place for parasites to cuddle up in. Like our noses, reindeer nose bones are covered in membranes filled with blood that warm the air when they breathe in and cool it when they breathe out. This makes quite the cozy corner for the more than 20 types of respiratory parasites specific to reindeer. 
Snot bots, they're so cutely nicknamed, are usually a main culprit for the cold-like symptoms and ruby red nose. The fuzzy bumblebee-looking female bot fly, also known as a reindeer warble fly, will squirt her eggs into the noses of the unexpecting reindeer. Once the eggs hatch, the larvae crawl down the throats of their newly holiday host and hunker down to grow until they're ready to leave. When the big day approaches, the larvae will get antsy and will begin to move around, scratching the reindeer's throat. Soon, the reindeer begins to cough and its nose begins to run, turning bright red with irritation. As the botfly moves more, the coughing gets worse and the nose gets more inflamed, trying to use snot to soothe the scratchy throat until the pest is finally launched out of the nose or mouth by the coughing cervid. So, just a thought. When you're putting out cookies and milk on Christmas Eve, you may want to leave a box of tissue for poor old Rudolph. <laughs> well, my aspiring grossologist, my eight minutes are up. What was your favorite fact about the countdown? If you like this episode and would like to hear more ill-inspired segments, check out the other episodes on the podcast. And if you feel this podcast is one that you would like to see continue to grow, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber. You can ask questions, recommend topics, and be the first to listen to new episodes. Thanks again for joining me and set those notifications so you don't miss the next eight minutes of ew. Bye, everyone.